What do you do when there are no good options? Well, one king of Judah hears that an unbeatable army approaches, and he chooses the wisest path. On The Bible Brief. Have you donated to the Bible Literacy Foundation? We'd love for you to become part of the Bible Lit team as we make Bible learning content. Want to donate today? Check out the link in the show notes. Life can come at you so fast that you don't know what to do. You can be going on your normal routine, and then boom, bad news about your family. Boom, bad news about your career. Boom, bad news about an investment. Bad news about your health. Bad news about your friend. You can simply go through an avalanche of bad news that brings you to your knees. Maybe in prayer. Maybe for lack of ability to stand in the face of all of it. Perhaps at the end of this day, still reeling from it all, you say, God, I have no idea what to do. Please somehow help me. Please help. I just don't know how to face all these things. I need you to face them for me. Well, you're not alone if you've prayed that prayer before. And we're going to see this very situation as we look at the kings of the kingdom of Judah. The kingdom of Israel has been making a mess of things in the north. After Jeroboam split from Solomon's son Rehoboam, the northern kingdom has continued its steady slide into wickedness. First, it was Jeroboam setting up the golden calves, a new priesthood and a new feast day for the north. Then after his wicked dynasty ended, the next king, Basha, repeated the evil attitude of Jeroboam, only to have his dynasty end in the same way. Soon Amri's dynasty emerged as a powerhouse in the region, led by Amri, followed by his son Ahab. And Ahab was the most wicked king that the northern kingdom had ever seen. He not only left the golden calves in their places, but he also built an altar for Baal, authorized priests of Baal, and built an Asherah pole. No doubt he was egged on by his evil wife Jezebel, a woman so depraved that she tried to systematically rid the kingdom of the faithful prophets of Yahweh. But soon after Ahab's death, the dynasty would change again. A usurper named Jehu would arise to take the place of Amri's dynasty, and the evil would again rear its ugly head. Now, during all this upheaval in the north, the southern kingdom of Judah had relative stability. Instead of many dynasties, they enjoyed one, the God-authorized dynasty, David's dynasty. God had promised to King David that it would be someone from his family who would occupy the throne in Jerusalem. And this was continuing to be the case. From David's descendants came king after king. First his grandson, Rehoboam, then Abijah, and following Abijah's death, came Asa. Asa was a good king, and he's described like this. He was one who did what was good and right in the eyes of Yahweh his God. Asa took down the idolatrous Asherah poles. He destroyed the high places for worshiping other false gods, and just as in the days of Solomon, the land had rest from war for a while. The Lord granted peace to his kingdom for ten years because of his faithfulness. Even when a foreign army eventually did come to defeat the small kingdom, 
Asa prayed this, O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name we have come against this multitude. O Yahweh, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. Asa appealed to God for aid, and God routed the enemies of Judah, just as he had done for prior kings and rulers. Asa even attracted many defectors from the north. Not only did he rule over the tribes of Judah, Benjamin, and Levi, but also people from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon resided within Judah under his leadership. Faithful Israel appeared to flock south to the legitimate Davidic kings. Asa was a good king despite his faults, and after 41 years, his reign ended with general success in leading Judah in faithfulness to Yahweh. Asa's sons would have big shoes to fill, and fill them he did. Jehoshaphat became the next king after his father Asa, and Jehoshaphat strengthened the little kingdom in many ways. Not only did he fortify many cities and increase the strength of the military, but he also strengthened the people. In fact, in the third year of his reign, he sent officials and priests to go throughout all the land of Judah to teach the people the law of Moses. As king, he was intent not only to know the law himself, but to ensure that the populace didn't forget the commands of the Lord. By the time this religious reformation campaign had finished, God had shown his pleasure too. He caused great fear of Judah to fall upon the surrounding nations, and the Philistines even themselves brought tribute to this king from David's line. Jehoshaphat had effectively caused a mini-renaissance within the nation as he sought the Lord and strengthened the kingdom. Jehoshaphat was a good king, though he was far from perfect. This was especially true when it came to the northern kingdom of Israel. Jehoshaphat must have still held out some hope for some sort of reunification of the two kingdoms, and he went so far as to make a marriage alliance with the king over Israel. The king Ahab gave his daughter to the son of Jehoshaphat, and an alliance was born. This was a misstep that would have dire consequences for the house of David. But generally, Jehoshaphat was a very good and upright king. Perhaps the best example of this is his leadership during a truly trying moment for the kingdom of Judah. He was surprised with bad news that might have spelled the end of the kingdom, but he turned to the only one who could help. We read this in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites and with them some of the Mayunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord and all the cities of Judah came to seek the Lord. Despite peace in his early years as king, Jehoshaphat was facing the likely end to his reign and the likely end to the kingdom of Judah itself. An innumerable multitude was coming quickly from the nations around Judah, and Jehoshaphat feared that this great army would decimate the little kingdom. But he turns to the Lord in his fear, and he seeks the help of the only power great enough to defeat this formidable foe. He proclaims a fast for the nation and gathers the people in Jerusalem for a great assembly. We read, And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord before the new court, and said, O Yahweh, God of our fathers, 
Are you not in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it, and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Jehoshaphat notes God's great mercy upon these peoples that were coming now to attack the kingdom of Judah. Back in the days of Moses, God had instructed that Moses and the people were to not attack and dispossess Edom or Moab or Ammon. These were now the very same areas coming in an attempt to dispossess Judah from its territory, to destroy the legitimate place of God's temple and God's king. Jehoshaphat is at a loss and fearful of this bad news. He'd reigned over a little kingdom of peace, and now he looked at a potentially devastating war. Jehoshaphat ends his prayer like this, O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Did you hear that? Did you hear that wonderful faith? We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. In a few words, he prays a profound and honest prayer. Admitting inability to save, he turns to God and says simply, We're watching what you will do. We have no power, but you do. We have no capability, but you do. We've heard what you did for our fathers. Now please, God, do it for us. Help. And God, in his great grace, responds to their helpless plea. We read, Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon some men in the midst of the assembly, and he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says Yahweh to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position." And see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. God announced through the prophets that Jehoshaphat's prayer would be answered, and that the people of Judah would not even need to fight in the battle that was to take place. God himself would grant them victory, not with an arrow or the slash of the sword on Judah's part. Yahweh would fight for his people, and all the people would need to do would be to take courage and to go out against them as if to fight. So the next morning they did just that. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in Yahweh your God, and you will be established. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, 
He appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise Him in holy attire as they went before the army, and say, Give thanks to Yahweh, for His steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped destroy one another. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil, it was so much. Yahweh had not only delivered his people, but he had blessed them with abundance in the process. The enemies of Judah had turned on themselves, and what was once a great horde became a wasteland of a bygone battle, ready to be looted. God honored the faith of Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah, and he vindicated his name before the people. When the battle is the Lord's, the Lord will always win the battle. Isn't that a great comfort? When we face our greatest battles, we don't face them alone. We don't face bad news of awful things in our own powerlessness. Believers approach every earth-shattering moment in our lives with the God of the universe eager to hear our prayers and to answer them, eager to aid the struggling saint, eager to vindicate his name before a doubting world. What we must do in fear is just what Jehoshaphat did. Pray this simple prayer with our hearts. God, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We can pray for God to act, and He will act. Perhaps not in the ways that we envisioned, but He will always act on behalf of His children. And eventually, if we keep our eyes on Him, we will see unfolded before us the many prayers answered, even through those distressing times of agony. With eyes on Yahweh, we don't have to know how to take the next step. We simply need to trust Him and keep moving forward, with eyes open for His provision. It may be a check in the mail, a timely, encouraging word from a friend, or a medical breakthrough. But most often, it will be a closer, more intimate walk with Yahweh, achieved through the hardship itself. Saints are rarely made in the oasis. It's the desert that creates childlike trust in our ever-providing God. God only gave Judah victory when they showed up for the unwinnable battle. Unwinnable without God. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023